Okay, we're recording. So Shalom Aleichem. Shalom everyone. I'm very, very glad always to be with you again anytime we can take just a few minutes to look at uh, all of these concepts that we have been learning from the Holy Torah and God's Word and and the traditions and the oral teachings of the of the sages of, of Israel. And I we've come a very, very long way and uh, I've hit you with an entirely new different ball game of how to look at the universe and and how to look at uh, at Hashem and the way he he is involved in our lives and the way he is running the world and we had come to the point where we are now we have been climbing the ladder in the process of changing the way that we think and and this by the way this is not something that we can do in 24 hours that uh, it takes quite, quite some time. It depends on how diligent we are in uh, in learning this this new way of thinking and learning uh, an entirely new ball game of how how God is involved in our lives and where we stand on the ladder of the way the universe is run. So this is what we have been doing, and we have come to the point finally uh, in uh, the the book Shadow of the Ladder, in the Shadow of the Ladder. Translated uh, from by uh, Mark and Yedidya Cohen uh, concerning Yeh- uh, Rabbi Yehuda Lev Ashlag's two introductory works to the study of Kabbalah, an introduction to the Zohar, and an introduction to the study of the Ten Sfirot. Then they put this marvelous, absolutely marvelous uh, glossary type of thing in the back of that book called Keywords, Definitions, and Concepts. And this is what we are trying to do as we are as we are finishing out. The study, uh, the study of uh, the Baal HaSulam's introductions to Kabbalah, and it has been a <laughs> a mind-changing experience, and I hope also an, an emotional-changing experience for us. And uh, the very first thing he wants to hit is this here: the love of God, the love of Hashem. And we've already seen this already over and over again. And the love of Hashem, you remember, it's all, it's all how we perceive divine providence everything is this way actually this is what determines our attitude towards him it's what determines our stress level and obviously I've had a very high stress level lately which means I need to work again and again on changing the way that I think and uh, the authors of the book or the translators of the book who put it together they're they're in this glossary that they made for us. They come and this is the very first thing they say about the love of Hashem, the love of God. And it says very simply that we love God when things are going well, when they are going our way. And then we become not so enamored of Him when we are having a hard time. And this is called conditional love because it's conditional upon our circumstances. And obviously, I don't think any of us would argue about it, this is not a perfect love. It's, it's uh, the same kind of thing uh, in the love between friends or between a husband and a wife. Uh, <clears throat> and for it to be a level of perfect love, it has to be one of those things that no matter what happens, no, even, even when we know the partner is in control of things, that no matter what happens, that we trust him and that we trust our friend, that we trust our wife or our husband, and that we trust God, uh, that that he is meaning it for good and that it will come out that way. And he goes on, that the true love of Hashem is unconditional, no matter what, in good circumstances and bad circumstances, in suffering or in happiness. In loving God unconditionally, it says, we reach a stage of loving God exactly the way that God loves us. Now, that's an amazing thing. And this is something, and, and I'm not, I, I know you already have it and you've caught it, but the only reason I harp on it and, and go over it again and again is simply because <clears throat> we need to do that as human beings. One day we have it, and then the next day something can happen, and we find out that we don't have it. So we have to work on it over and over again. You know, I'm, I'm actually studying a uh, pamphlet, a, a kuntras in Hebrew, that was written by the, by the Chafetz Chaim. Uh, concerning, of course, Lashon Hara, the Chafetz Haim was always, his main concern was to talk to us and try to keep us from this terrible sin of Lashon Hara, of evil speech. And this is a, a kuntras, a pamphlet concerning Zakor and Miriam, remembering what God did to Miriam, uh, you know, when she spoke Lashon Hara. 
and then she had leprosy and it took seven days and it happened uh, on the way out of Egypt uh, in the wilderness and the, the Chafetz Haim writes this unbelievably beautiful pamphlet concerning this and I've just been studying it the past few days and one of the things that he mentions in there especially concerning the sin of Lashon Hara the sin of evil speech the sin of and gossip and slander or even repeating things that are true but uh, but are harmful and and he is, his whole point in this whole pamphlet is that if we would every day remember what Hashem did to Miriam for saying something not publicly, for saying something a little derogatory. It wasn't even really derogatory, actually. But saying something about her brother Moses, she didn't say it publicly. She didn't mean it derogatorily. And she said it to Aaron, her brother. And for that, it was that her father should spit in her face, and uh, she had leprosy, actually, was in a total tamay, a total unclean state, a stopped-up court state, is what that means, for the next seven days. Miriam was a prophetess. Miriam was an absolute, unbelievably righteous person. And this is the Chafetz Haim's point. If Hashem did this to someone on the level of Miriam, how much problems do we create for ourselves and for other people by speaking by speaking uh, with Lashon Hara, with an evil tongue. Uh, and, and his whole point is that God tells us that we need to remember what he did to Miriam on the way out of Egypt in the wilderness. We need to remember that. That is one of the six remembrances that we are to keep in our minds every day. And this is, this is the Chafetz Haim's point. There are things in our lives, there are things with us because we're human beings we can study it one time we can get it and we can say oh what an amazing truth but the deal is is we have to have a device we have to have a system where it's brought to our memory every day in other words we need to work on it we really have to work on it every day and he is going through the whole idea the Hafez Haim is in in that pamphlet going through the entire idea of it's just an amazing he was such an amazing great rabbi and uh, and he gets his point across by talking about being sick. And uh, some people don't even know they're sick. And, of course, his whole point is that all of us are sick. If we are speaking Lashon Hara, then we are sick. And that God did give us a medicine for this. And the medicine is, is the Torah. And the specific medicine, the very specific medicine for Lashon Hara, actually, is to remember what Hashem did to Miriam for speaking just a few words. Uh, un- unbelievable uh thing and if we would keep that in our memories that eventually he even he even says verbally say this verse to remember what Hashem did to Miriam and that this is the key to specifically taking the exact right medicine from the Torah but we have to verbalize it and we have to put it into action in our life and we have to do it consistently on a daily basis now I said all that just as an illustration of a good illustration of the point that I'm trying to make, and that is that this is not something, for instance, the love of God. We can all love Him conditionally when things are going our way, uh, when everything's going well with us. We can all sit and, and, and really love God, really love Hashem on a very high level. But when things are not going our way, then it's not so easy. If that's the case, then this is still a conditional love, and we have to work on it. We have to really work on it. And we, we especially have to work to remind ourselves and to build ourselves to love Hashem unconditionally no matter what, no matter what the circumstances is, and especially so when the circumstances are bad. And it's not something that will come to us naturally. We have to work on it. We have to do it. It's the same way with the, whole, the entire lessons that we have been doing on, the, on this whole core issue of changing the way that we think. We literally have to work on it. We can't run over it uh, quickly one time and, and, and expect to get it. We have to continue to remind ourselves and train ourselves in this new way of thinking. Okay. The next thing in the, in the glossary that they have made for us is for its own sake or not for its own sake. We'll take for its own sake first. Now, this in Hebrew is lishma. And you remember this is part of a of a beautiful saying that we find in the Talmud many places. Talmud Torah Lishma. Talmud Torah Lishma. That's the study of the Torah for her own sake. And as I've told you a number of times before, I always thought that I actually knew what that meant. 
until I got in and started studying the Baha Sulam and found out that I didn't really know exactly what that meant. And since finding this out, it has really it's 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 changed my entire my entire path, my entire way of studying Torah. Uh, and so let's see what they say here. They say when we serve God for God's sake, for His own sake, for Hashem's sake, then we serve Him from an egoless. And the reason I put that in big capital letters there is because I want to shout it at you. This is the point. We serve him from an egoless point when we serve him only for his sake. We, uh, it says we give to Hashem and to others only to please the one God and to serve his creatures. We don't ask or don't want for ourselves. This also is something that is extremely not so easy. And we have to work on it. We have to remind ourselves. Because we come so naturally to study the Torah and say, "Ooh, oh boy, what am I going to find out this time? What am, I, you know, what's what's uh, what's the big chidush, the new Torah insight that I'm going to get?" That's good to be desiring those things, but we have to be desiring them from an egoless point. Our ego cannot be involved. We do it. We give to Hashem. We we give to others only to please Him, and in order to serve His creatures. Uh, and we don't want or ask for ourselves. It goes on and says we can also learn Torah for its uh, or the wisdom of the Torah for its own sake, Tamut Torah Lishma, in order to please Him, so that the illumination, the light that is in the Torah, will shed its light on our souls, and that is what actually enables us to grow closer to our source, to grow closer to the source of of all light, and that is what fulfills the purpose of creation. If we remember what that purpose is, and that is that Hashem desires to give pleasure to His creatures. And the greatest possible pleasure that He can give to us is that we should be attached to Him. That we should come closer and closer to the source of everything, to Him. So, Tamut Torah Lishma, to study Torah in order to please Him. This is such an important concept. Uh, I, I can't pound on it enough. And we have to move from our ego points, all of the points of ego, uh, to an egoless point. And that is done if we study Torah in order to please Him. So this is a good thing to remember. Now, just as there is Tamud Torah Lishma, there is also Tamud Torah Lolishma, not for its own sake. And not for its own sake is the exact opposite. Our motives are mixed. Our ego is involved. It says, and although we may be serving God, we are, and there may be an aspect of us. See, this is, the Baal HaSulam is telling us something that's extremely important here. It's an extremely important point in Kabbalah. And that is the matter of checking ourselves to make sure that, for instance, just in Torah study, that our ego really isn't involved. Just as he is, he is explaining here, he says, although we may be serving God, we may also be serving our egos at exactly the same time. Still, he says, by remembering our overall intention, if our intention is wanting to purify ourselves in order to come closer to him, in order to please him, then it's nevertheless, he says, a a valuable stage that leads to Torah for its own sake. So as long as, even if we're mixed for a while, even if we still have other things and our ego still may be involved, still this study of the Torah, even from this point, will lead us eventually with our with our concentration, with our dedication, with our help, uh, to a place of Talmud Torah Lishma. And he says, and this is only a negative stage if there is no overall intention to grow in purity, but the person's inner motive is self-serving. Then, God forbid, he says, it can lead to a state in which the Torah can become a drug of death. And he's explained that to us very clearly before. That is such an interesting way that he puts it it's it's uh it 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 seems nonsensical almost how in the world can the torah become a drug of death god forbid only if we are continue to study it for many years or a long period of time with these mixed up intentions only if we're trying to get something out of it say you're trying to get something out of it in order so you can't wait to tell someone else just so you can impress them with your knowledge of god's word that's totally self-serving 
it's it's okay. The, uh, the Baal HaSulam is saying it's okay for a period of time to do it that way if your intention is still to purify yourself. But if it's not, if if all the inner motive is just self-serving, then that can actually lead us to a state in which the Torah can become death to us, can become a drug of death. And he ends that statement with God forbid, and I repeat it again. God forbid. Okay. The next thing in the in the in his glossary is where he speaks of the revealed Torah. We have the revealed Torah and we have the concealed Torah. The revealed Torah, just as a reminder, we've already learned all of these things before, but these are just reminders for us. The revealed Torah comprises the written Torah, which is the five books of Moshe Rabbeinu, together with the Mishnah and the Talmud, which make up the oral Torah. In fact, it's not just the five books uh, of Torah Shebiktav, it is the five books of Moshe Rabbeinu, but it also includes all of the, all of the Tanakh, all right? And then that, together with the Mishnah and the Talmud, Mishnah and Talmud make up Torah Shebe Al Peh, the Torah that comes from the mouth, or the Torah that is in the mouth. And the term revealed Torah, he says, also includes all of the books that, are, that pertain to Jewish law. In other words, Halakha or Halachot. Uh, all, all, of the, all of the books that are written by great sages, for instance, like the Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch, the set table by uh, Rabbi Yosef Karo. Uh, the the Shulchan Aruch, if you've never seen it, it's a it's a set of books which tells us, and it's called the set table. And why is it a set table? So just as we have, you know, on our plate, on a table, our fork and our knife are here, and our our drinking glass is here, and our plate is here, and the food on the plate is uh, kind of compartmentalized in in specific areas. Well, Shulchan Aruch, the set table, and the salt and pepper, you know, are in a particular place. All of those things. So the Shulchan Aruch, the set table, is all of the halakha. If I, as a Jew, if I want to know what, if I want to know something about about circumcision, what's the halakha? I've had a son, and and I need to know what is the halakha concerning circumcision. So I can open the Shulchan Aruch, go to that section, that part of that set table, and it's sitting in a particular place on the table. I can pick it up and begin to read it and everything. I don't have to go and hunt here and there and everywhere. And everything concerning the halakha, the legal aspects of what it will take and whatever situation it is and whatever the circumstances on how to correctly, halakhically uh, make a brit milah, make a circumcision for my son. So that that's what the Shulchan Aruch is and uh, that's an example of where he says it includes books by the sages and the rabbis pertaining to halakha. There are many such things. The Rambam also uh, wrote, wrote a lot of these things. These materials, he says, of revealed Torah. Now this is interesting. These materials all deal with the practical application of Torah in the world. In other words, what is halakha? Halakha is how do we live as a Jew. Now there's halakha for the Jews. There's halakha for B'nai Noach. And, and you know... The halakha for B'nai Noach is, I want to say it this way, it is developing. It is not completely black and white yet. And the halakha for B'nai Noach is developing. And the more and the more great Torah sages become involved in this process, the more we will find out things about it. Basically, of course, we know that the halakha for B'nai Noach is, is the seven, of course. But then also, the vast majority of Judaism is also open to you, uh, even though you're not obligated to it. Anyway, this will also become revealed Torah. Uh, the more rabbinical minds and the minds of, of contemporary Torah giants apply themselves to these issues, and it will become part of the revealed Torah, because revealed Torah deals with the practical, practical application of Torah in this world. How do we live? How do I live as a Jew? There is revealed Torah for me to understand how do I live as a Jew. How do you live as a B'nai Noach? There is a developing... <laughs> revealed Torah for how do you live as a B'nai Noach and, and with God's help that will become more and more more great as we go along. So that's the key. Revealed Torah has to do, because you study Kabbalah by the way, a lot of people think they get this wrong impression. Oh I'm studying the Torah. Now it doesn't, you know, it doesn't even matter. They get so disconnected from this world that they forget that we are in this world and that this is our reality. Uh, 
you know, see, because when we get into deep studies in Kabbalah, there, we can come to a point where basically we see that uh, the concept of free will is almost illusionary. It's almost an illusion. And there's a big question, do we actually have free will or not? Well, the deal is, is that illusion, it may, be, it may very well be an illusion, but we do have it because this is our reality. Unless you come to the stage of a tzaddik, and a tzaddik, a completed tzaddik, he no longer has his free will. He really doesn't because he has come to a place and come to a stage where he cannot go against revealed Torah, he cannot go against concealed Torah, he cannot go against God in any way. So in a sense his free will is taken away from him. But still, this is our reality in this world. And revealed Torah deals with our reality in this world. So the study of Kabbalah is not an excuse not to keep Halakha, not to keep the Torah in a practical way in this world. And uh, it makes me just a tiny bit crazy when I listen and hear some, some teachers doing that or some students actually misunderstanding the concepts. We, we have to be grounded in the Halakha. Okay, I'll get off of that box. Let's go on and go as far as we can, as far as I have notes, okay, for tonight. So the next keyword or concept is the secrets of the Torah are the concealed Torah. And this is very simply, the Baha Sulam tells us very, very simply that this is the wisdom of the Kabbalah that deals with our inner consciousness and the intimate connection between Hashem and His creations. And I put in parentheses here, everything, absolutely everything, has an inner and an outer aspect. Just as you as a human being, you have an inner, we, in fact we have layers of them, but you have an outer aspect that we could generally call a body. And you have an inner aspect, which we can generally call a soul. Okay? And everything has it this way. The entire physical world is like this. Uh, the spiritual worlds are like this. Everything has an inner aspect. Everything has an outer aspect. And the wisdom of Kabbalah is dealing, coming from the Torah, is dealing with that inner consciousness. And the inside connection, the very, very close inside connection and intimate connection between Hashem and between all of his creatures, between absolutely all of his creatures. So this is what Kabbalah is really about. It's really about the inner aspect of the Torah, the soul of the Torah, if you will. In fact, we can even relate it that way. Revealed Torah, the halakha, the way we are supposed to live practically in this world, keeping Torah. That's the body aspect. That's the outer aspect of Torah. And then the secrets of the Torah, or the concealed Torah, which is Kabbalah, that's the inner aspect. And the reason that Kabbalah is okay to really teach you, see, I, it's, it's, much more, it's much more kosher, actually, for me as a Jew to teach you these inner aspects because Kabbalah is on the level of the soul. Kabbalah is not making big distinctions between whether you're Jewish or whether you're non-Jewish. Uh, it's on the level of the soul. And so there are things that we will learn in Kabbalah that apply equally to us, no matter who we are or what we are, uh, as souls coming from Hashem. Even if we're even Jewish and non-Jewish souls, even though we have different missions in life, we are still sharing something in common, and that is that our source, our source, the source of our souls is Hashem Himself. So, so still, Kabbalah is a, to me, is a, is a universal uh, type of wisdom of the Torah. That, that anyone can learn and everyone should learn if done correctly, if taught correctly, because that is, that's the whole thing. We can't change much of anything if we don't change the way we think, if we don't break out of, out of the box of, of our thinking and get a new box, find a new box. Okay, let's go on. The Torah and the Mitzvot. He says, the mitzvot in the Torah are called, in the language of the Zohar, by the term commandments. In the Hebrew term there is pikudim. Okay? And they are also referred to as 613 pieces of advice. Now let me say something here. Before I ever begin to learn Kabbalah and begin to learn Zohar and, and uh, some of the other wonderful Kabbalistic works, and especially the Baal HaSulam's works, uh, 
concerning the commentary of the latter, the Baal HaSulam, the master of the latter. I, I used to hear that from time to time, and it used to strike me wrong. 613 pieces of advice, because I thought to myself, you know, the commandments, they're not advice. They're commandments. We, we have no choice in the matter. We are commanded and expect, totally expected to keep them. But you know the Zohar is absolutely correct if we will think of it. They are 613 pieces of advice. This is advice to us on how to live in this world. And we have the free will to whether we follow the advice and we have the free choice not to follow the advice. So it is, the, com the commandments are, as the Zohar says, 613 pieces of advice. Because we absolutely can choose to do them. We can choose to follow God's advice, or we can choose to refuse it and do our own thing. Now it goes on and says the difference is that everything, or the difference between these two terms, is that everything has a potential aspect and has an actual aspect. And this is also true for Torah and mitzvot. First comes the aspect of doing them without understanding, it says, just on the basis of faith alone. And that's where I was at that, at that point in time. I would certainly keep every commandment that I could possibly keep. But I absolutely did not have any, not any real understanding. And it was just on the basis of faith alone. Then, it's, then he says, then follows the aspect of doing them with full understanding. When they are done from faith alone, without understanding, then they are in potential. And they are considered then as pieces of advice. But when a person actually merits or comes to the point to understand their true meaning, that's when they literally and actually become commandments. Pikudim. Okay? Now he wants to explain that a little further. He says, this term pikudim, it also means a deposit or deposits. Okay? So there are seven slash 613 mitzvot. And in each mitzvah, is deposited a specific light. This is so interesting. In each mitzvah is deposited a very specific light, just like there are thousands of colors, millions of colors, and and these are all all these colors are are contained in the the white light, what we would think of as white light. That's a beautiful illustration of the diversity of the universe coming from all one source. But every, every, just like that, every one of the commandments has a particular deposit, a particular light to it, okay? That light is specific, he says, to the particular limb of the soul and the body that is related to that particular mitzvah. And we can find out what those are if we go into more study. Uh, the great Rebbe Nachman of Breslov did a beautiful, over many years, did unbelievable teaching on this, and uh, you'll find it sometimes in the book called The Anatomy of the Soul, where he is relating particular commandments to particular body parts, and those body parts are also related also to, to uh, soul parts, okay? Anyway, so that's what he's telling us. Every commandment, specific light, deposit of specific light, that light is specific to a particular, a specific or particular limb of the soul in the body. And when a person performs a mitzvah, he draws to himself that specific light for that particular, particular limb of the body's soul entity. So, Rabbi Ashlag uses the term Torah and mitzvot to include, one, the outer practice of good deeds, as for example, giving charity. Okay? That also includes doing any kind of ritual halakha, the outer practice of good deeds, like uh, washing hands in the morning, uh, blessing uh, God for bread, or blessing Him for any of the events and happenings in our lives, all of those things. We wearing tzitzit, putting on tefillin, all of these things. The outer practice of good deeds, like giving charity. The inner consciousness, which is the connection of ourselves to our souls, as part of Hashem. Now that's not the normal way we would think of that, is it? That our inner consciousness, <laughs> the Torah and the mitzvot, also have to do and, and includes our inner consciousness. And that inner consciousness is the connection of ourselves to our souls as part of Hashem, as coming from Him. Wow. That's a, that's, that puts a, our thinking on an entirely different level. 
And then finally, the study of Torah as a guide to this inner consciousness. This, this is all involved in the terms Torah and mitzvot. Okay. Oh, wow. These are, what he is giving us now, and I, and, and I hope you're still with me. Uh, I know we're going over things we've, we've already learned many times before. But basically, one of the reasons we're going over them is not, not just because it's a review, but because it's, they're, they're actually providing for us very good definitions of Kabbalistic words and Kabbalistic terms that if you, if you begin to read or you begin to study any uh, teaching from any of the rabbis, you're going to find all of these terms mentioned. And in those books that they write, they are generally, most, the vast majority of Kabbalistic works written by great sages were actually written not for us who don't know the language of the branches. They're written for, for other scholars and other rabbis who, who all of this they already know already. So they don't, have, they don't have to sit down and define, make definitions of terms so that we can get a good vocabulary. And that's the basic, basic reason that we're going through this glossary in the back, just to improve our vocabulary uh, and our understanding of that vocabulary in Kabbalistic works. So here we come to three concepts that are talked about all the time in Kabbalah. And if we don't know what we're going to learn here, then, then we can misread them. We can think it's something physical. We can think it has to do with something in this world, and, and, and it absolutely doesn't. So movement, the concept of movement, the concept of time, and the concept of exchange. The Kabbalah often uses expressions which seemingly refer to time and to space. But the Baal HaSulam has already taught us that in the spiritual worlds, time, space, our exchange as we know them, they absolutely do not apply. So our question is, is what do these expressions in Kabbalah refer to? Because we know, now just as a reminder, we know and we've learned that there is no concept of physical space in the spiritual realms. There's only the, con the concept of spiritual space. And just to briefly tell you, and then we'll read, we'll read the words we have here, but just to briefly tell you and remind you, the concept of spiritual space, things are far apart if they are dissimilar in form, if they are not alike in some way. Now, in this world, in the physical world, we can bring totally dissimilar things. We can bring good and evil together. And they can actually interact in the physical world because those are spiritual concepts that are connected to physical objects, be they bodies or whatever. And we can bring the objects together where there can be a, an a, a uh, not an exchange. That's not what I meant. Uh, where there where there can be some kind of interaction in the spiritual realm, that cannot happen unless things are similar. Okay, similar in form. Remember that. Okay. So movement, time, and exchange. Movement from place to place in the language of the branches. And remember, that's what the Kabbalah actually is. The language of the branches actually refers to a new desire, a new will, if you will, or a new change of form that has arisen in the vessel. Affinity of form, which this is one of Rabbi Ashlag's things that he absolutely wants us to understand forwards and backwards and upside down. Affinity of form, he says, as we have learned, leads to what? It leads to unity. Not, not, not being scattered, not being uh, uh, things opposing each other, but it leads to unity in our life, and it leads to unity between us and Hashem. In fact, this is the idea of what it means to become one with Him, all right? is to be in affinity of form with Him, which, if, just in case you've forgotten, what that means is a rectification of our will to receive for ourselves alone into our ego, in other words, into a will to receive in order to share, in order to share benefit with other creatures, and in order to share pleasure, to please Hashem. Okay? Now, a change of form, he says, leads to what, this is what a movement is. Okay? In Kabbalah, if something moves, 
then it's actually moving from one form to another. A change of form leads to a movement of a new entity, a new creation, away from the former. But, there is a big but, this does not imply that the former vessel changes. Now what does that mean? It, it simply means that tomorrow, I, today, I may have really worked on my will to receive for myself alone. And I may really have come close to Hashem and been attached to Him in several ways during today. Tomorrow, I can't take that for granted because my former vessel is still around also. The old will to receive for myself alone, the old ego is still there waiting to step forward at any second to take control. The Yetzirah is not dead yet. Not until you come to the place, there, there is a place you can come to, and that is a completed tzaddik, a completed vessel. So until that takes place, the former vessel uh, really hasn't changed. It's still there. But we still have to work on this. So somebody says, oh, so why should we even try? Because that's what we're here for. That really is what we're here for. We are here to move. <laughs> okay? We are here to do that. We are here to change. And this is the way we do it. Anyway, so what he's telling us here is the former vessel remains. It re still remains as it was. And the change of form that we have is just an addition to it. Then he tells us, he says, now there is no exchange in the spiritual worlds, but only additional forms that separate from the previous form. And those are referred to in terms of movement from the vessel. In other words, we are moving farther and farther away from our original vessel until we finally approach the, the place and attain the place where, again, where uh, we no longer have free will. And we are now at Sadiq with God's help. Wouldn't you like to... I mean, see, I'm always looking for a shortcut. And what I found in this is that there absolutely is no shortcut. Uh, we, have to, we have to get after it every day. We have to work on it every day. Uh, and and the, the old vessel is still around. Eventually, you can completely transform your vessel. Don't give up and don't despair. It can be done. Anyway, let's go on and let him finish his comments on, on this, on movement, time, and exchange. He says, A succession of changes of form leads to the Kabbalistic understanding. This is, this, now, this is the Kabbalistic understanding of the concept of time. Everything that we understand, by the way, in Kabbalah is all by analogy to the physical world around us. So what is the how do we how how does time go by in the physical world around us? What we have to have to have time is number one we have we have to have space, which we have. Then we have to have matter, okay, something physical, which we have, and then we have to have movement, which is energy. So in the second that that matter begins to move time begins to happen. So that is exactly what's going on also. Uh, in other words, it is a succession of changes of form. That is what the Kabbalistic understanding of the concept of time actually is. Just as in the physical world, he says, if we and all around us were at total rest, then we would have no concept of time. So time is conceived by us as a, uh, uh, because of a succession of movements has taken place. For example, the breathing that we are doing right now. This is movement, and anytime we have movement in space, this is mark. This is time passing. In the in the spiritual worlds, this is the way to understand it. Also, but now that movement, we know how to define that now, because movement from place to place in the language of the branches, remember, refers to a new desire or a new change of form that has arisen in the vessel. So a succession of changes of form is also is also referred to as cause and effect, where one form causes the next. Now, are you still with me? I know this is a little bit complicated, but it's only complicated because I'm probably going over it again and again and again, like I think none of us can understand it. So <laughs> I'll move very quickly in just a moment. I just want to make sure we get it. Uh, when we look in the language of the branches, if we're reading something in, in the... In the, in the uh, the conversation between rabbis or something is about a, a process of time. They're not necessarily, in fact, they're probably not at all talking about time in this world. They are using the example of time in this world to speak of what is time in the spiritual realms where the roots of our souls are at. 
what is time there? Time there is movement. And movement is changing from one form to another, which all has to do with the will to receive for ourselves alone being changed, moved into a will to receive in order to give benefit to others, pleasure to Hashem. That is how to move your soul in the spiritual realms. That's the idea. And that is the idea of time there. Okay, let's move on. Because he just introduced us to the concept of cause and effect. And I believe this is where we will end tonight. We'll finish, we'll finish this idea. And it, it also is an interesting one. And you'll read this also in many, many, not just in Kabbalistic works, but many other, uh, any of the rabbis who are, who are teaching. You'll hear this talked about a lot. So let's understand what they're saying. Now remember, we ended the last, on the last slide it said, a succession of changes of form, meaning from one form to another, that is also referred to as cause and effect. Because one form causes the next one. So th this is a good thing to know. So that means even though my old vessel is still there and the new form that I have is just in addition to it, okay? And I haven't come to the place where the vessel is totally remade all, uh, completely. But So even though that's my status right now, the old vessel is still there, the Yetzirah is going to come at me again tomorrow, and uh, probably in new and inventive and creative ways. <laughs> so that's going to be there. And yet the work that I did today on changing my will to receive for myself alone, in resisting my evil inclination. That work that I did today, that is, did lead to a change of form, all right? And that very change of form that we did today, that is a cause. And the effect will be, if God, for, you know, God forbid that we allow the Yetzirah, the, the evil inclination to trip us up, or we allow the will to receive for ourselves alone to get in the way, the next day, the form we had previously should cause a new change. It should be a cause and effect thing that one form causes the next form. Okay? All right. Cause and effect, before and after, reward and punishment. All of them are in Kabbalah are actually kind of the same thing. Before and after in Kabbalah, he says it means cause and effect. The cause is termed before. And the effect is termed after. Now, this is this is still good for us to know. I don't know how many of you actually study maybe some other Kabbalistic teachers like Rob Ginsburg or, or something from Chabad or or, uh, or who knows. I know there are other teachers also on uh, Noahide Nations who are dealing in these areas. And But if you're reading or studying a textbook in Kabbalah or, or, or something, you, you may read before and after. And you don't have a clue what that actually means. So you realize, and this, see, this is the mistake we make, and this is what leads to craziness sometimes. So we rely on our own experience to define what is that before and after. So that's why we're doing this. And I know this is slow going, but that's why we're doing this. So what we find out is before and after, that actually also means cause and effect. And the cause is termed before. The effect is termed after. Not only that, but cause and effect, sometimes when we're reading that, that's often also referred to if we're reading and we see reward and punishment. It's also talking about cause and effect, or before and after, okay? Now, now he explains how this happens. This follows, he says, from the fact that each one of our acts, and we have to define that because sometimes when I say that, people understand me and they think I'm just talking about doing something physically with your hands. No, no. It starts with thinking. That is an action. And then speaking. That is an action. And then finally doing with your hands or with your body. That is an action. So this follows the idea of cause and effect being referred to in terms of reward and punishment. It follows from the fact that each one of our actions, that is a cause. And it will produce an effect. Any of you that have been around in this world any length of time at all, you know this already from your experience. Thinking, speaking, and doing are, at are causes, and they will produce an effect, which that effect may be positive. And if it's a positive effect, then it's perceived as reward. Or it may be negative, and that is all always perceived as punishment. Okay? That is the idea. 
But then he adds this, and this is all, always so interesting. This is only from the viewpoint of the vessel. It's only reward or punishment from our viewpoint, in other words, uh, from, from our aspect. Because in actuality, he says, the light of Hashem, it's only good. And Hashem himself, he is all love. And he actually does not have any aspect of punishment from his point of view, from his perspective, from what he actually is. That's a very good place for us to end, <laughs> is this idea. Because most people, and I'm not trying to lessen your fear of Hashem, uh, absolutely not. Because sometimes that people take it, take it that way. No, in actuality, we know that Hashem is only good. We know that His light, no matter what form it's coming to us in, it's also only good. And we know that Hashem is, everything, His entire motivation for everything is always love. And from that, and see, we're not saying that that doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. That doesn't mean that punishments don't come. But from God's perspective, because he is, his intention is always love, it actually does not have any aspect of punishment at all. It's only from the viewpoint of the vessel that, that cause and effect can be perceived as reward, or, or, or the effect can be, be perceived as reward, or it can be, be uh, perceived as punishment. Okay, again, this all goes very easy. And very good as long as everything is going our way. We have to work and be prepared. And, tr and, and with God's help and with our great desire to be, to be close to Him, to, be, to cleave to Him, to be connected to Him. And our great desire to purify ourselves so that we can be pleasing to Him. And uh, so that we can uh, really and truly uh, please Him. I'm looking for the right word. I, I can't find it. But please him and be close to him and be good servants to him as well as part of, part of his family uh, that, that he would be proud of us, actually very proud of us. So we have to work on it. We have to work on it and, and have this desire. And I'm sure with this desire, <coughs> excuse me, he will help us. He will absolutely help us. Now, just a note of advice at the end of this. Because as we are doing tonight, uh, this particular program, this particular lesson, we are in the middle of the counting of the Omer, Sefirat HaOmer. Sefirat HaOmer is always a time, if you will, of deen, of judgment. And I made the comment to my rabbi, Rabbi Chaim Richman, uh, the other night because so many wild and crazy things have been happening around me lately. And I, I just made the comment to him. I think the entire universe, I said, has shifted to the side of Gevarov severity uh, because things are being so severe right now. And so he went like, no, I mean, uh, so did you forget that we're in the middle of Sefirat HaOmer, the counting of the 49 days of the Omer, and that this is always a time of deen, of judgment. And that part of our prayer during prayers during the time of the counting of the Omer is that Hashem will remove from us all the klipot, all the contaminations, all of the uncleanness, the unclean shells that are embedded in us. And my rabbi made the comment, he says, you know, we ask him to remove these, and then he says, and then when he removes them, he says, then we cry about it, and, uh, and we have a problem with it. And the reason we cry is because they are so attached to us that when Hashem actually answers our prayer and removes this shell, like taking the skin off of an onion, <laughs> it hurts because it's attached to you. That's actually in the prayer itself, klipot, uh, that, that, are, uh, that are so attached to us and embedded in us. So it's, not, it's, it's sometimes extremely painful. And it's always a test for us on working on that level of unconditional love for Hashem. And so I, I just wanted to mention it to you because especially during Sefirat HaOmer, we are, everyone is going through a process, everyone who loves Torah, everyone who is trying to come closer to Hashem, is going through a process, particularly at this particular time. You know, Sefirat HaOmer, counting of the Omer, it begins with barley, okay, which the sages tell us is animal food. And it ends with two loaves of wheat bread in the Holy Temple, which the sages tell us, are quick to tell us, this is human being food. 
So from the time of the, the beginning of the counting of the Omer until the 50th day of Shavuot, we are moving, if we are working on it, we are, and, and the klipot are being t- tore off of us, taken off of us, we are moving from the status of an animal in the sense that our animal soul, our emotions run our lives and are in control of us. We are moving from the status of that animal soul to the status of a real human being, a b'nai adam. Uh, a child of Adam, where our mochin, our brains, our connection, our immediate connection with Hashem, that begins to be in charge of us. So we, so th- there's this movement, but it's painful. It can be, and, uh, and 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 not so easy. And finally, after all of that, then on that fiftieth day, what? Then we are ready, as human beings, to now receive the Torah. This is an unbelievable picture in the time of the counting of the Omer. It's, it, it is, if you will, a concentration in time of what all of us should actually, what we should be doing nonstop all the time. And that is removing certain things from our lives, removing certain things from our thinking, removing motivations, uh, removing the overpowering uh, will to receive for ourselves alone, in, in developing this will to receive in order to give. And keeping up this movement that we looked at tonight where our cause and effect, our before and our after, uh, be- become become reward and not perceived as punishment, and moving closer and closer and closer to Hashem in order to please Him. So we all have a job. We all have a task. We all have an individual task to do, some mission that Hashem has that only we can do. But the main mission that we have, as far as our souls, is to do this process, is to absolutely make this process of coming closer to him, this movement in time, this this one form replacing the other and causing the next one and causing the next one, all of those things. This is what the whole idea is here. Okay, let's stop right here, and I will have to skip with you next week. Uh, actually, Rabbi Ritzman will be in the country, and uh, you, and when he is here, I'm with God's help. I'm always his driver, so I will be driving for him for a few weeks. But but. Uh, I'll tr- I'll do my very best with you. We'll be back with you on May the 20th, I think I believe it is. Yeah, May 20 of 2009. And I'm marking myself now so that I don't forget it with God's help. Uh, I won't forget it. Okay. Toda I can't thank each and every one of you that you even show up for this class to listen to me carry on. And but hopefully we are learning some good Torah together and we are learning it in order to please Hashem. Because it does please him that we come together and that we study study him and that we question and that we learn and that we learn his Torah in order that we can do his Torah. Absolutely. Okay. So, Toda Rabbah. And uh, I hope to see you soon. Very soon. Shalom and to you. Peace and a blessing. Bye-bye.